All right, we good to go, my man. We good to go. So yeah, it's a it's a little weird with the situation with this whole COVID. Um, there's a lot of things that you normally would like to have done during the summer or even now still, but you right. know, just because of safety precautions, you wanna you, you wanna be safe and you wanna remain healthy. But this is it's a virus, so it could strike at any time. Anybody could have it, you know. Um, it's just very weird, you know. I I I want to be around my family more. I can't do that. There's just those things that you just took for granted, or the things that you just love to do. Um, you're being restricted now because of this whole situation. Yeah, yeah, and um, the mismanagement makes the level of fear also something that inhibits the ability to um, find ways to do things safely. You know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm kind of watching it from the flip side because here the number of people, so, you know, Tokyo is the second largest metropolis in the world, right? And um, we're still having between 100 to 200, some days only 70 people coming down with new cases that are tested, right? And at the high, it was like, 500 a day, 400 a day. So it dropped down pretty considerably. And then when you see, when you consider that's like in a city, in a city, in an area of like 30 million people, right? Like that's really low, like that's remarkably low. But like when I see what's going on in America, it's really shocking because like here, you don't have to tell people to wear a mask. They just do it, you know? like. They just do it. Like, it's yeah. not. And here is the whole inconsiderate thing. I don't want to wear a mask. Well, I shouldn't have to be restricted to wearing a mask. It's not about restriction. It's about safety. It's about health. Do you care about the lives of the people that are around you every day? Absolutely. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember this, but like maybe 10 years ago when SARS first happened, right? maybe it was longer than that already, SARS, when that was the thing, you know, like the, the virus at that time, in like 2004 or something. And like, at the time I was living in New York and um, suddenly I would see, you know, East Asian people and they're wearing masks around New York City. And I had the reaction of like, what the fuck is up with these people? Like, what do they think they're just gonna get SARS on the street in New York? And my perception of it was that they were they were fearing others right but the reality was that they were trying to guard themselves yeah. if they had been right yeah. uh, if they had been you know if they were carrying the virus and that um the whole perception that like that's the america like i had the same misconception at that time my reaction was the same type of misconception that i see on the largest scale for people back in the state, for not everybody, of course, but for, for those people that refuse and look at it as if it's a, a, a some kind of, you know, a rights issue, you know? And it has nothing to do with that. It's just about, it's just something simple as safety and health. Like, that's it. That's it. Whether yeah. you believe it or not, if you believe it's a hoax, fine. But still, for the love of those that are around you and the those that you may come in contact with, you know, just bear with us until this is this situation is is has better control and people and and the scientists know exactly how to take care of it. You know, 
I, and I get the oh, other wow. angle of, I understand the other angle of people saying, well, you know, we did H1N1, we did SARS, you know, all that stuff was a hoax, the pig flu and all these other things. I get that where people are saying this is it's a hoax or they just trying to get us to the point where they can inject us with vaccines and put chips in us. And I can understand that, man. But if you're looking at the death toll and everything like that, even if it is a smaller amount of people, it's still not something to play with because it's not something I would want my mom to have to deal with. My auntie exactly. would have to deal with. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's real. Yeah. It's I heard, real. I was listening to, I was listening to uh, part of one of your prior podcasts and um, it was with what uh, Chris Hazlitt. Okay. And he was saying like his wife is getting PhD and you know, he was, he, he kind of had like a very, uh, kind of like a scientific mindset, you know, as a result of his experiences, you know? And I think it's really interesting um, how the last couple of years has been like, you know, watching people, so many people have lost the ability to kind of think with, you know, some kind of like scientific, logical or critical thinking approach to things, right? Such to the point that like everything is fucking reactionary now. Like so much reaction. Like we can't even, like people, like I, I thought about this because I recently had this argument. It wasn't an argument. It was two people were arguing like on social media around me. And um, it, it was really like, people who, who are arguing on, on the left, on, like white people arguing about Black Lives Matter, right? Both of them, both of them were pro-Black Lives Matter, right? In so far as how they're talking, but they're arguing with each other in the way that what words they use. And so like losing sight of the actual core of what the discussion is. You know, and yeah. like when you can't even communicate with the people that are on your own side, how the fuck are you going to solve any problems in this world? You know, man. So it's, it's, that's why, it's, like, when it's weird, it's real weird, my man. Like, I don't, that's why I find myself sometimes I may post something and I may not even say nothing about what I posted, I just may just throw it out there or. Uh, even with the whole 1977 Biden uh, comment that I, that I posted, a lot of I got a lot of, well, not a lot, but I got a few messages in my inbox. And it was like, dude, I didn't post that to say not to vote. I posted that because that's something that he actually said. I didn't post right. that to say, you know, don't vote for him, vote for Trump, or don't vote for Trump, vote for him. It had nothing to do with it. It was just the fact that it was something that was said. And the other thing that, the thing that kind of irritated me was when someone said, that was 40 years ago. And I was like, I'm 40. What does that mean? That affected people who were a little bit older than me and the people who came along, who came along with me as well. So what the fuck are you right. saying? Right, right. Like you're not paying attention. Like it, it's, but I, I, certain things, man, I just can't, I'm not gonna argue about, especially something something where I know safety and health is a very big issue. I want people to be around as long as they can be around and enjoy this life. You know what I mean? Sure. I want people to be able to have the freedom to say and think and do what they want to as well. But certain people I'm just not going to argue with. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so in that regard, like this is an interesting point, right? Because like I'm curious, because like actually I did respond to you on that, and not that my response to you is that like he should be confronted with his words, you know? Like yeah. I'm not saying like he can't have changed. I don't know what's in that man's heart, you know? Yeah. But he should be confronted with his words, you know, and, and we should be able to see what his reaction is and how, you know, and and if we don't, I'm not saying it's, it's not, it's not an issue of forgiveness. It's an issue of what direction somebody goes forward from the mistakes that they've made, right? Because like we all make mistakes on some level and it doesn't excuse, I'm not trying to excuse anything either. Please don't mistake that part. But like, we're at a point where like, if we just continue to go around and around as a society, we're never going to get anywhere, and we're going backwards right now. You know? Yeah. So, so, so here's my thing about. Uh, I don't know. You know, like I, I, I totally get it. I don't. What's going on? My thing about it is this: you said it. It's out there. What have you done since that time? to change the way you felt since then. And I don't know what he's done, not to say that he hasn't done anything, but I don't know what he's done. You know, if you're gonna stand behind something like that and you're part of the group of people who introduced the 1988 crack law that locked up thousands right. upon thousands of hundreds of thousands of millions of black men, 2.1 million men are locked away in prison for stuff like that now. So if that's, Part of the damage you've done, and yeah, we have the Fair Sentencing Act where these guys are, have been released, but what have you done to help make sure that shit like that doesn't happen again? Not, not only that, but what do we do to reverse the trend that, that was that from 1988 that took down and damaged, deeply damaged, you know? Like, okay, so you're 40, I'm 45, right? And like, how many of our peers how many of their families, how many of their, their connections and associates were damaged? As how many lives did you ruin in the process of doing that? And not and secondarily, right? Like not even primarily, the children, the cousins, the relatives, the aunts, the uncles, like people who had to pick up the slack for laws that were unfucking just you yeah. know? That shit is... It's very deep. Like, why do you think things... Yeah, that's part of the what we're dealing with right now you know like it's it's the echo you know it's the reverberation because it's deeper than an echo right an echo is one time we've got generation upon generation upon generations of injustice that are echoing and i would say that's the one thing that's kind of in a way perhaps good right now every time that the tumult gets to this level right where it's where it's there's a pressure right it doesn't mean that everything's going to change, but it means that there's some kind of momentum that's picking up. I would like to see more togetherness. I would like to see more ideas out here shared, but uh, the implementation of action, not just us coming together, but the implementation of action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like what Ice Cube is trying to do. I hear people who are knocking him for it's a CWBA, I think it's called, Contract with Black America. Um, they're knocking it because he took it to uh, Orange Chicken, 45. He took it to him, and he and I guess they're going over it and they're trying to produce a result. 
I don't see nothing wrong with that. He took a five hundred billion dollar contract and he took it to the to the, to that side of the bird or the that wing or whatever, and they're working on it. But from what he said, he took it to the Dems and they said we'll see what happens after the election. And you know, if there's a person who's willing to sit with you and talk to you about it, at least talk to you about what what you have planned your contract, I understand I understand him sitting with that side and, and going over. I don't see anything wrong with that. Now, if, are they going to play him? Are they going to treat him like a sucker? Only Ice right. Cube knows that. Right, right, right. But it's the mm-hmm. fact that someone was willing to sit with him and meet with him to put this in place and see if they could get the ball rolling. That's, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Right, like even if, so not even if, at the point in time that it becomes counterproductive, right? Because at some point in time, invariably, it will become counterproductive, right? Absolutely. But even if that happens, when, when that time does come, right? When, when those lines are crossed, the, those decisions will have to be made. However, if no effort, if, no, if nothing is done, then no, you know, like what? Then zero sum. You're stuck right? at a standstill. You're back at a standstill. He's trying to get something rolling in motion. And I, what I've learned from the most part is that when you're dealing with people um, who don't understand that they've been oppressed for so long that they don't, they don't understand that everything has already been taken to them, and you're trying to work with the other side, they see it as just the other side. Oh, you're trying to, you're trying to oppress us even more. No, mm-hmm. you're already, you're already oppressed. I'm trying right, to get right. us into a situation where this can, this can qualify and put you in a better position for generations and generations to come. And you're still worried about the, the half a penny that the de- Democrats are gonna give you. But right. it's, yeah. it's, it's, that's one of those things, man, why, like I always say, I don't get involved in politics. Um, I'm about solutions to problems. I'm more about solutions to, uh, to problems. I, uh, I applaud and I commend Dr. Claude Anderson for his work for all these many years and for speaking to Ice Cube and to sparking the idea into Ice Cube to do this. And if it works, man, hallelujah. You know, um, it's about time that something has come together to to benefit fruit, you know, or bear fruit. But um, it's it's just one of those things, man, like politics and, and the way we the way we view it and the lack of actually, the lack of action. Uh, let's, just, let's just say it like that, the lack of action that we've seen since the civil rights movement when we were uh, more together is, it just sucks, man, because they, they, they keep throwing these leaders in front of black people and none of these people have ever done shit. And, and that's not just me just saying something, but looking at the, front, not just the framework, but the makings of it. They haven't done shit. All these people have come together to do nothing but benefit themselves. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in some ways, it also mirrors, you know, like the whole thing with um, like the idea of neoliberalism, right? Um, in that, in that, like, like not liberalism, neoliberalism, okay. and um, they're very, they're almost like counter, they're almost like uh, complete counters of each other, right? Um, and 
like essentially what it does is establish a role for corporations to do what they've done, which is sort of re-monopolize. And by doing away with having regulations and services provided by the people and having everything be uh, handled by privatization, like what does that do? That takes away the ability for there to be public services, for there to be like public good, right? Like, cause who's gonna support it? Yeah. Who's gonna support it? If it's not, if it's not about a bottom line, then, then there's no value for it in society, right? And that's a real, that's like that part is so just, it's just greed and disheartening and, and painful, you know, like, Let's switch gears because I want right, to. Yeah, because that that's that's one of those rabbit holes. Um, let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from Miami Beach, Florida. Miami Beach, Beach, Florida. All right, cool. Um, what was that like growing up? Miami was an amazing place to grow up. Miami, Miami, like I'm proud to be from one of America's great melting pots. You know. Uh, a place where when I was growing up, like the three, four languages were like Creole, Spanish, of course, Yiddish and English, right? And um, there was a real, a real, I grew up in a real mixed environment culturally. And uh, I'm, I'm, that really informed a lot of who I am and have always been, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and I was also, you know, like I was still born in the time when there were hippies around, and 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 the values that that my parents had, my parents were big hippies, you know, and like those those values are are, are I think really important. And um, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily identify myself as a hippie at, at, as that that idea exists now, but um, what they stood for in the '60s and '70s, man, that shit was alive and well and, and cruising around on Miami. Were your parents hippies? Oh, definitely. Definitely, you know, and, and my parents took that shit to heart. You know, like um, both of them were extremely creative people. Fortunately, my mom stayed around, my dad's gone, but extremely creative people. And also I think like they didn't just talk the talk. I think that they, they definitely bought in and believed in, in, in the values that went along with that. And, you know, both of my parents, but especially my father was somebody who was really profoundly um, interested in the world around him, you know, and in culture and in, you know, spoke a little Spanish and, you know, understood the Yiddish because of his, his family, because my family was Jewish and, um, you know, was interested in science and nature and, 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 and had friends that were, you know, from all over the world, you know, or at least relative to Miami. So Colombians and Haitians and, and Bahamians and, and all different kinds of people, you know, and like, that was what, that was what I grew up being surrounded by. So, yeah, yeah. So that was what, you know, like when I met you, like we met in Memphis, you know, Memphis was a very interesting experience to me because it was so completely different than the world that I grew up in. Yeah. What made you decide to go to Memphis College of Art? Well, actually, of course, you know, there were there were many things that uh, things that happened, but I had gone to school, so I was already 25 at that point. I had been in and out of school and I had been working as an artist 
in various types of businesses. Like I've been a gopher in an art department at a newspaper and uh, I've been in an early web development company. And I wanted to go, my mother's an artist and she paints murals and does interior design. And I worked for her corporation and um, you know, I got to the point where I was really, I was a terrible student, awful. I got thrown out of high school several times, you know, and I had to go to alternative high school. And, um, but I wasn't a bad kid. I just didn't, I was not able to conform to the, the public school system in Miami, which in that regard, Miami was terrible at the time. Uh, there were some great educators though. I, I, I had some you know, wonderful educators and the experience of getting kicked out of high school introduced me to some of the most important educators that I had in my life. However, um, so by the time that I was 22, like I always knew that I was heading into design and art, but by the time I was 22, I had done enough. I had actually even ended up getting a job as an assistant arts assistant teacher at a public school, because at that time, to be non-instructional staff, we did not need to have a college education. We just needed to be over the age of 18. So um, I ended up, they contacted, the school in Miami Beach Elementary School had contacted my mother to paint a mural. And she was, you know, it was not worth her time because she had to make money, but um, she said, you should talk to my son. He works for me. Maybe he can come in and work with the kids. And then I came in and, and went and started, you know, working with the kids on making mural. And the, the head of the art class, the, the lady who was running the program said, oh, you know, we have budget for an additional staff member if you'd like to come on. And so I was like 19 years old and teaching art to kids. And so like that changed my perception of education and the value of education. So by the time that I went to Memphis, like I had already gone back to do some college. And at that point, um, I was ready to kind of get a degree. I wanted a college degree. Okay. Okay. And uh, I've been dating a girl who was a ballet dancer, and she had gone from Miami City Ballet to Ballet Memphis. So uh, she went to Memphis, and I went to check it out while I was looking for schools. And basically, I went to Memphis with my portfolio in hand, and it was December, and I showed them the portfolio, and you know they they sat me down and wrote the numbers up, and at the end, there was like a couple thousand dollars difference between the, you know, what the cost of everything was going to be. And I didn't have that money at the time. And I said, I, I, I would love to come here. You know, your new semester's in January. It's December right now. And I said, but I can't cover this in the next few months. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. That's what you get back after the, you know, government grants and the other things. So I was like surprised. Like, oh, there's $2,000 there. I'll see you in January. And um, then that was it. And I was in Memphis. Um, how did you end up in Tokyo? Uh, well, so in 2008, 2009, during the downturn, so during that time, I had gone, so while I was in Memphis, let's, let, let me back, I'll try and be concise though, I won't, I won't try to ramble, but when I was in Memphis, my last semester or last year there, I started working at a newspaper and I was drawing editorial cartoons there. And um, that's really also like, you know, that's where my, part of my interest in politics goes deeper than that, but that's where I started becoming more focused in regards to how I see things. Um, and then I went from that to another paper. And um, I could also see that the news business was gonna be like on the way down, you know, like the internet was coming to take over. So print media, that job was not gonna exist. So I switched gears 
and I got into art directing in the game industry, making video games and tabletop games and stuff like that. And uh, so I went to New York and I was doing that for, for quite a while. And uh, after the downturn, things got really bumpy and I had lost a lot of family members just coincidentally at the same time, my father, all my grandparents, everybody kind of passed away at the same time. And um, the, the company that I was with, I've been with two different game studios. Like they were, they were struggling to hang on, but I was owed about like $14,000 in back pay because they couldn't pay because their investors are pulling out and everything was just crazy, you know? And um, I was dating someone for a couple of years already and she was from, she's from Tokyo, but she'd been living in New York for 20 years. She was working in the family court system, uh, you know, supplying um, counselors to families in the court system, technically it's uh, not for profit, but, um, and, and then her, her whole office got closed down. And um, it was the day that just happened, like the day before we were gonna take a vacation to come to Japan and I'd never been here. And when I met her, the first thing that I said to her, one of the first things that I said to her was like, you're never going back to Japan, right? And she said, no, I'm never leaving New York. So, um, you know, she had no intention of ever coming back here. And, uh, but there we were in a situation where like life was kind of tumultuous in a way. And uh, we got on the plane and while we were getting on the plane, she said, what do you think? Could you, could you ever live in, a, in another country? And here I am, and it's 2020. Wow. And there it is. There yeah. it is. I mean, I had always had the desire to live in a foreign country as well, to have the experience. I mean, I really think, like, um, you know, I heard you had Michael Coppage on, who's a very good friend of mine as well. And uh, Michael was talking about, like, uh, the difference between, you know, things in the United States and living abroad. And um, I think more Americans really should have the experience of seeing life from outside of America. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I think yeah. everywhere should be able to have the experience or get the experience of traveling abroad, going to a foreign land and seeing how people interact and the culture and um, the spirit of the land. I think it's a, an eye-opening thing that um, quite a few people are missing and they don't get to get a chance to experience. And my experience, well, the thing that got me into it was the inspiration of hearing guys um, through college or as I got older, coming back home, just hearing people just talk about they were from different places that I had never, ever been, you know? And th those things, were ins they were inspiring to me because it's like, I haven't been in any of these places. The places I've been, it's just islands at the time, I think. And yeah. Um, the young lady I was dating at the time, and God rest her soul now, she was a very instrumental piece or the biggest piece that uh, pushed me into travel. And I'm very grateful for that, man. And anytime I sit around and I think about some of the places I've gone, some of the things I've done, I'm always, I'm always thankful for, for those moments, but mostly thankful for her because she was, she was a piece that said, well, you know, you can do it, right? Like you don't have to wait on nobody. Like we can just go. Yeah. And like, you know, it's very interesting, but um, I think in America, we're not really taught the same way, like to go out and um, see other countries, right? Like uh, our, our, our entire culture is so, American culture is so, so focused on being American, the greatness of America all the time that um, 
that like, <laughs> you know, here in Japan, a lot of times when kids turn 20 years old, parents give them a little chunk of change and send them out to go see some other country to go travel somewhere to have that experience, right? And like, um, that's just, you, you know, like that's to open them up. Yeah. You know, and we're not, we don't, we don't really have that. Like, what do we have? Spring break kids that want to run down to Mexico but, for two days and get like Part of that is from the way that you're raised and everything that they show you or don't show you. You know, you're told to, you know, America's exactly. the best thing smoking. You know, it's the, it's the greatest place on earth. And it's not like it's a, it's a great, it's a, it's a great money maker. It's a great place for business, but there are a lot of beautiful places out there to go see. There, and like, like uh, there's something under, there is something that is unique about America, right? Like, um, I, I don't want to only say negative things, right? No, we're but, not going to say negative things, but hey, some of the stuff that we're saying is just bad. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying for your sake, I'm saying for myself, because I, I can definitely get a little bit like, you know, negative when I think about what's going on and, and, and the history of the country. But, um, you know, it's very fascinating. Like you guys were talking about, when you were talking to Michael, you guys were talking about nutrition, right? And like how there are like, like especially, especially like in the history of black neighborhoods in America, there are nutritional dead zones you know, and like to live in a country here where food is approached in such a fundamentally different way um, really is eye-opening, you know, like it's amazing. Dude, like one thing that, that, that like you talk about like the spirit of the land, right? Like yeah. There's a spirit of the idea, the concept of understanding the history of how we eat as a species, right? Like, cause you know, everybody's gotta eat. And to understand like our country is only 200 years old, 200 something years old, right? And like now for what, a third of that time, there's been refrigeration and, and industrialization in regard to how people eat. So, you know, along, along with that came all the advertisement and promotion of how we should eat, right? So all of that, that, that processed food, right? Which is valid stuff. I mean, some of that stuff we need, some of that stuff society needs, right? Yeah. But, um, but it erased, there was an active effort to erase um, not only in, in, not only for black people, but for, for so many people, the, the food of their original cultures that they brought with them when they immigrated to the United States, right? And it became the plate with the mashed potatoes and the steak and, you know, like the processed food that you could get. And that idea became uh, a standard, right? And so we lost some of the concepts that were really important. So like um, pickling, how to preserve your food, how to ferment foods. And then the fermentation process creates bacteria, which are good for the flora and fauna within your digestive system. And that that stuff then in turn provides enzymes, which are better for your brains, right? And then when you're eating those kinds of foods, like you're able to have better energy, you're able to have clearer thinking. Um, and, 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 you know, a lot of that history had been sacrificed in exchange for 
you know, industrialization and commercialization, right? Yeah, and a lot, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it was lost, uh, and people just took shortcuts and started processing more foods because um, they were looking for the quickest, quickest way, right, to get a burger out to people and to just make sure that people, because it's just sustained for 15, 10 to fifteen minutes, you know. Um, right. And right. like you said, we right. lost, combination. Yeah, and we lost the the the, the culture, you know, the actual right. feel and the actual love, the spirit of communing with one another and actually having a meal, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, and like what's interesting is to see here, for example, the, the perception of like what American food is, right? Like they, there's so often people will think like hamburger is American food, right? Like as if that's the only thing that is American food, you know? Um, and so like they don't know that there's a history and that there's uh, you know all the agriculture in different regions, and 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 that underneath that that package processed concept, there's like a whole nother layer, you know. Yeah, like, it was all about business. It was all about business. So that's the quickest way to make a dollar with this, you know. Right, right, right. So, how about you, man? What do you what do you what are you doing for nutrition these days? Uh, right now, I'm I'm about to get into the uh, another smoothie diet. I haven't started yet, but um, by the weekend, I think I'll have everything I need. Uh, my berries, my bananas, my plums, um, was it chia seeds, um, my kale, I gotta get all that stuff together, my ginger, um, and I need to find out how to get some roots, and uh, some herbs and everything while I'm out here so I can start back. Have you ever tried making your own yogurt? No, I haven't. Have you ever tried making your own yogurt? Tell me about that. You, so you know, you can make your own yogurt. Right, but how so, so you, all how you, you need, you can just go somewhere. So you just go to like somewhere, like a health food store that has the right, you can get like a pouch of um, starter, starter culture, right? And then all you need is a little bit of milk and a, a dark place to keep it, right? Like inside, inside a cabinet. And, um, you know, you pour a little milk in and the next day you come back and there's yogurt. And wow. you can just eat, and then you just keep adding milk because like once that live and active culture is in there, it just maintains. That's and, awesome, man. Um, can I use like almond milk or coconut milk? There are ways to do that. I don't know specifically about, you know, like, I don't know specifically about that. Hey, can I pause for a second, man, so I can go okay. real quick? Sure, sure. It's like 45 degrees here, man. Typical weather. It's October, going into November. Yeah. Continue to drop. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever made it out to the Far East? Far East? When you say, like, Far East, what do you mean, like, Florida? <laughs> yeah, that's one Far East. No, I mean, like, Japan, Tokyo, China. Oh, no, oh, you mean Far, okay, Far East. Far East. No. Far East. Oh. No. Eastern Hemisphere. Eastern Hemisphere. Yeah. I have not. Sorry about the yawn, but I have not. Um, far East. Ha, I'm over here thinking about the States. Um, no, I have not. I, I really want to, though. That's that's something I have to um, set my mind in motion to do. What's on your list? What are some places on your list? Some places on my list would be Tokyo, Hong Kong, um, but mostly um, 
because I've done so many other places besides Africa. I would I would love to visit Africa, um, yeah. and 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 sit in the sun over there on the equator, and go from go from country to country and see what that experience is like. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to even it's hard to imagine like the vastness of Africa. You know, like we're we're not really taught like. The map is is deceptive when you see it flatten out on yeah. on you know like the map doesn't do it projection. At all. No, yeah, like you can put you can put like South America, North America, like you can fit so many continents right inside of Africa. Absolutely, you know? and still have room. Yeah, yeah. Still I was recently room. reading about uh, Timbuktu. Did you ever read about Timbuktu? Mm-hmm. Fascinating, fascinating, right? like this 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 library in the middle of the desert you know it's been there for thousands of years yeah so there's so much there's so much like um i feel like like one thing that's been great in getting to be living abroad right is like seeing from a different perspective history you know because like history is not only the way that we're taught of course you know, like there's, there's a lot more to history than like the way that we're taught. Yeah. So it's really fascinating yeah. sometimes to like. It's, it's the way that, not just the way that we've been taught, it's the, the actual way that it's, it actually happened. The experience you get from going to these different places and experience it. And from those who give a better, more accurate uh, depiction of what may have actually happened instead of just going by what certain scholars would want us to believe. So sure. And, and even like the other factors, like watching sort of like, um, you know, here, for example, on TV, they'll have like a lot of travel shows and the places that um, people in Japan might be interested in going and seeing are like totally different than what the people in the United States might be interested to go see. And so like even, not even the history component, but just the way in which people are curious about learning also, changes the pathway, like those neural pathways and like what is interesting about those places, right? So like, like you could be opened up to something just because of the way that people around you kind of have a certain excitement or a certain curiosity that, that comes from an appeal that you did not consider, you know? Mm-hmm. And that part's pretty fascinating, man. Yeah, what do they have like a top five or what, what what are the top places that you normally hear about where they would like to travel to? Well, here people really like to travel a lot, right? So um there's a, a top five, man, that's hard. People one thing I definitely hear people have a lot of interest in is like going to see Aurora Borealis. Like they want to travel to see the Aurora Borealis, like the Northern Lights. Yes, okay. Right, like deaf people are, that's something that comes up a lot. I think that, that there's a certain like group of people that are interested in that. And then another thing here, of course, is like there's like a culture about like taking baths, right? Like getting in hot water. Okay. Bath, as, as like a health, you know, like part of health, right? Cleanliness and hygiene. But then that includes like, you know, going and trying like hot springs in different places around the world because like. So often, like you know, in, in in the modern world, we think of water as just being like water is like H two O, right? But like water, water as we know it really comes, you know, from sources inside the earth, from lakes, from rivers, right? 
And it's not, it's not only H2O, right? There's, there's minerals and there's compounds and there's the location in which it filtered through from rain into, into in through the ground, into aqua, you know, into reservoirs, into aquifers inside the earth, right? So like, you know, all of those places have different minerals and different compounds in them. So like then you go to like the hot springs. So like maybe if you go to like Iceland or somewhere like that where they got yeah. hot springs, like yeah. the the minerals and the benefits of what you're going to find are going to be different than what you might see here in the north part of Japan or something like that. Like yeah, and I've, I've Arkansas, heard about that. I've heard so about it. I'm curious yeah. to find out what it's like. It's it's really cool, man. Like um, you know here just domestic travel right like uh people there, there's hot springs set up because like you know japan is is basically just a, a an island that's a bunch of mountains and volcanoes right so um there's very little like flat land in this country very little like tokyo and and, and osaka that's about it you know like everything else is hills and mountains but um with all the volcanoes then and the rain you know because it rains here a fair amount like underground there's a lot of water and then that water like collects and becomes hot springs and then there's like hot springs locations all around the country and different hot springs are like good for different things so like if you got skin problems you're supposed to go to one area and if you got digestion problems you should go to a different area and oh, wow. the truth is though like the smell and the smell of the water and the feeling on your skin is actually considerably different like it doesn't feel the same you know like uh, and and uh, it's real it's real cool man like um, and a whole part of it is also like in if you go to a hot springs usually it'll be near an area that they have like regional food so like all the different regions have their own specialties and whatnot so like not only are you doing the hot water that's supposed to be good for a certain part of your body but probably you're going to be exposed to like certain types of mountain vegetables that you don't get anywhere else right and that those vegetables are also good for certain things. And it's definitely like um, very tied to tied to earth, tied to nature, you know? I like that, man. I like that. That's not, man, that sounds like a, a really great experience to have, especially when you start talking about like mountain fruits and things like that. That sounds like a really unique experience all to itself. I really got to get it together so I can experience that for myself. What, was it a culture shock for you? when you got there no not not too well i'll tell you the, the first so when we first first came here when i first first came here in 2012 10 something like that when i first came here was just for travel right and at that time i spoke zero i spoke nothing no japanese couldn't read functionally illiterate you know um couldn't communicate so that time like actually it was kind of inspiring because i thought about like my wife like she, she learned English just so she could go to university. Well, not only, but you know, that was her primary purpose. And I thought about like, you know, being from Miami, like I said, where so many people that I know were immigrants or came from different countries. And like, I thought about how many of them, English was not their first language, you know? Um, and then it really just made me realize like, even though at the time I was what, 38, 37, that like, I don't really speak Spanish as well as I would like and you know my spanish is kind of bullshit to be honest um which is which embarrasses me but um like now is the time like am i just going to be one of these americans that never learns another language right and like like this is the opportunity for me to do something like 
to, to, to learn another language. And yo, like the things that you learn from learning another language aren't only the language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not only the language, right? Like um, what, you, what, what I discovered, cause like fundamentally Japanese is so different than English. Like it's like this, like think about having a computer and like, you know, you got Windows or you could have Unix and like that, the way that programs operate, the way that, that, that logic and the way that, um, that pieces of information are connected, right, are very much informed by the grammar that we use to do it, okay. right? Yeah. So, so, so the nuance within the grammar can change the way that you actually think. Right, so like that happens when you learn another language. Is that it actually changes? Talking. Exactly. It's like you got the same processor, you got the same motherboard, but now it's running a whole different scheme. Yeah. And like the way that you have to think is not. You can't think. If at first, most everybody probably when they're learning a new language thinks like, I want to say like I want to eat an apple, right? Or, or for example, but. The way that you say it in the other language isn't the same. And if you look for exactly the same way to say it, yes. like now you, you, you're never going to get one is not, it's not one to one ratio, right? It's like this concept and this concept. And how do I express and communicate two different, the same thing, but in two different forms, you know? So it's like, it's, it's like learning to reprogram your brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in the process of that, do you did you play any instruments? Absolutely. What instruments? Yes. So like like <laughs> even though it's a little one, I got my keyboard right here. You know what I mean? Like um, like oh, how about this? Freestyling in another language. You can freestyle in another language. I started I started getting to the point now where I can start, you know, not as of course, not as precisely as in English, but yeah, being able to freestyle a little bit in Japanese. Yeah. Okay. But but in the point where like like this, if I'm around other people rapping in Japanese, freestyling in Japanese, then I could do it. If I'm by myself, like I, I need to hear, I need to have it in my ear a little bit, you know, to help switch yeah, over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's like it's like starting a car. You know, you've got to rev the engine up a little bit to like switch to get the gear and and, and shift over, right? Yeah, yeah. Get to yeah. turn over. Gotcha. But yeah, yeah. And not only that, like think about this. Just as an example, um, in grammar here, right? Like in English, we have like the you know, uh subject object verb, like the boy in Japanese it's different, like uh subject verb object, right? the boy ran to the market, right? But in Japanese, it's like the boy to the market ran. Mm. So like, it's always, the construction is always different. Okay. Yeah, I, I figured as much, even with like, just trying to learn how to speak Spanish at one uh, at one point, you know, it's just the way that things are structured. It's, it's, it's almost like um, the English language was the last one made or, or constructed and it was like the, the bits and pieces of all this shit, you know, so. Yeah, and like in that regard, like English is also fascinating, right? Cause like English is so malleable, you know? Like English is, it's easy to plug in all these other words from other languages. So like, 
uh, English in North America is different than English in Ireland, but the basic fluidity of the structure is able to accommodate a lot of different, a lot of different adjustments and, and a lot of add-ons and, and different things. Like, I don't think you can do the same thing in Japanese, although like you could, you could use all nouns in English, but you would still need, it doesn't have that same level of flexibility. Mm, okay. 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 Yeah. And like the same thing, like Spanish has its flexibilities, but also its rigidities too, you know, like yeah. languages, that's how language functions. Right. But the reason why English is so prevalent worldwide is because of that kind of malleability at its core. Yeah. 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 Hey, Matt, I, I don't want to enter to stop this interview, but I have to. I have a cousin whose car was run off the road. Oh, OK. Yeah. And the person who was trying to help him was killed. So he's oh, in sure. surgery. Yeah, my cousin is in surgery. So um I have to, I have to, I do not want to stop this, but I'm getting more and more upset as we go along and I'm trying not to be irritated, but I have to get off the phone and I have to find out what's going on with my cousin. All, All right. right. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Is it possible for us to pick up, pick this up uh, another day? Can we reschedule? Yeah, sure, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that.